everybody, and welcome to the Talking CX podcast. I'm here with Graham for the second of our three-part series on CX prioritization, CX prioritization and ROI, and ROI and measurements. And this is a really special series because with us, we have Jeff Sheehan, who is um, talking with us about all three of these subjects. So we're really honored and pleased to have him here. And hopefully by the time you listen to this uh, podcast as the second in our series three, Jeff will be a best-selling author. So um, we're doing everything we can to promote that status. And uh, and so if uh, if you haven't already bought a copy of Jeff's phenomenal book, Customer Experience Management Field Manual, um, and you want a free copy, then go ahead and ping us uh, through our Contact Us page, our voice app, um, or any of the other myriad of ways you can get to us in the near future, and uh, we will we will send out 10 copies of the book to the first 10 people to respond to us. That sounds wonderful. Okay, there you go. That's your challenge, Talking CX listeners. Just be one of the first 10 people to do that. Yeah, I would say that prior, prioritize that CX activity and your return on investment will be a free book. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Oh, and by the way, you'll be able to measure whether you did it right based on whether you get one or not. <laughs> there you go. All right. Here we go. Here's Jeff. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say is there is a unique aspect to the Irish market here, which is um, probably due to its 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 the corporate tax um, treatment that that Ireland extends to companies that land here. But there's a lot of American companies here: you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Log Me In, Airbnb, HubSpot. There's just so many. If you if, you, if I could take you through Dublin, uh, you'd see all these great big gorgeous uh, glass buildings that are that are empty, but they're they're temples to the European headquarters of of American companies. Um, and I do think that culturally, you know, that that customer experience um, uh, thought leadership from the U.S. parent company makes its way into the Irish market by way of you know a lot of the, the, the U.S. Uh, employees or just that that culture uh, makes its way here. So so there is that sort of other dimension of, of CX in Ireland, which is you know basically the import. Of, of American CX into these um, the, the European headquarters that are that are based here, um, so I do think that you get a good sort of pollination. But for the organic Irish middle market company and the bigger company, I think the biggest employer in Ireland is a private company called Musgrave. They have um, convenience stores and grocery chains and a few other businesses. Um, very focused on customer service, family run. I think it's like a nine billion euro. You know, enterprise it's huge um, employs tens of thousands of people. Very, very focused on customer service. Um, just as an organic Irish, you know, company. So one of the challenges that we heard about CX professionals balancing between their objectives of experience improvement and operational improvement and financial improvement and meeting the political needs of the stakeholders. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that they're trying to balance here. What have you seen happen and, and what works as far as helping them balance all of these 
competing objectives that they're trying to meet. Yeah, I've seen in the scenario that you've described, Robin, I've seen people get fired or quit <laughs> because um, they weren't meeting some expectation that wasn't well established, you know, up front for a CX program, or they were just frustrated with running into the brick wall and not being able to to, to pursue initiatives that would make that would that would that would create an outcome or an impact. Um, and I always go back to. Um, you know, the idea of beginning with the end in mind and, and, and understanding what exactly you are designing a CX program to do. What is it going to, you know, improve upon? Um, you know, Graham, in, in, in one of his earlier comments, mentioned um, a chart I have in the book, which basically talks about the, the, the nature, the purpose of a CX program. Will it, will it pursue operational efficiency? Will it pursue um, you know, chasing customer expectations or will it pursue uh, a more aligned um, uh, sort of route where you can actually do both? You can actually improve operational efficiency and improve customer um, uh, uh, and meet customer expectations or delight customers. Um, but you've got to figure that out. Like, how is it going to work in my organization? And I think with that clarity of what the CX program is intended to do, it's built to do. Um, I think that's where people are going to have success choosing the initiatives, getting the resource to, to, to execute and having some criteria for success against that work. Um, but if it's just throw everything at the wall and yell at the, the poor soul who's got the job for not getting things done fast enough or good, that I, I, I think we've all got stories of people who just burnt out on, on that kind of, you know, um, undefined expectation for CX. So I think what we're discussing here uh, touches a little bit on the next question, which is about how organizations juggle all of these competing priorities, such as, um, you know, um, their, you know, your resources and people and how do they put all of that together and, can part of that be driven by their criteria for return on investment? How do you see that, Jeff? Um, well, I think we talk back to sort of evolution and maturity. Um, the the surveys and scores um, version of CX, uh, I think, is is tethered very loosely to this idea that happy customers buy more. They refer friends and family to, 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 to engage the, uh, the organization and so on. I think, I think a lot of that was just sort of studies driven. And in many cases, um, the studies weren't even uh, cited, you know, that this idea that there was some sort of proof. But I, I, if you're a CFO, and when I was working in states for a, 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 a middle market consulting firm, we talked almost exclusively to CFOs about technology solutions and uh, they're very sort of practical, you know, uh, dollars and cents kinds of thinkers. And so you can't really just sort of loosely tether this idea that if you look after uh, customers and serve their expectations and continue to serve their expectations, you'll get a customer lifetime value kind of um, outcome over time. It needs to be more concrete than that. And so um, the ROI, uh, in CX discussion, 
uh, I, I'm a huge fan of, and I talk about it very much in the book around this aligned outcomes idea where the organization can uh, make operational efficiency improvements and at the same time serve and meet the customer needs. Um, but you've got to figure out what your CX program is designed to do, right? Um, if, it is, if, it's, if it's focused on digital channels, there are certain things you can do there around design and testing and you know, very dynamic changes you can make to work with customers and get immediate feedback and optimize things. If it's a more um, analog model, for, for example, like stores, um, you know, you, you can try and fail uh, and try and learn, but um, you know, the ROI, it's just gonna be a lagging indicator. Um, so, so you've got to place your bets, going back to what we were talking about uh, before, place your bets around what initiatives to invest in based on what the CX program is really intended to do. And then the ROI should be a measurement of those intentions. Are you going to deflect calls? Are you going to add more stuff to the uh, 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 shopping cart and have fewer abandoned shopping carts by understanding what compels people to leave without without transacting, you know, those kinds of ideas. Okay. Um, what do you see as the biggest mistake that companies make when they are putting together their ROI criteria in relation to their CX program? I think the biggest mistake they make is thinking they know why the customers don't buy or thinking they know why the customers do buy. I think there isn't enough customer conversation to understand those two key concepts. You know, why did you leave? Why did you abandon, you know, the, the application for a mortgage on my website? You know, that's a great question to ask somebody who's left. And, uh, you know, one of the things that um, there's a study that goes back to World War II where airplanes were getting shot down, but making their way back to the, the home base. And engineers decided they would study these airplanes that returned to base and look at where the bullet holes were, where the where the damage was, and they would beef up the aircraft with extra metal and armor and things like that so that the aircraft would survive those hits. But there was one engineer who said, guys, you're doing it wrong. You're looking at the aircraft that returned home. You need to look at the aircraft that crashed in the field that never made it home because they were hit in a vulnerable place. And so they, were, they, they, they couldn't get home. <clears throat> so they studied the engineer studied wreckage of aircraft and it didn't matter if it was American or British or German or whatever it was, they studied all the wrecked aircraft they could. And they, they discovered those vulnerable areas where um, if that aircraft was, was damaged in those places, it wouldn't come back. So I think, I think to sort of, you know, to apply that metaphor to business today, you need to look more carefully at where you're losing customers, where you're not converting interest into a transaction. Look at why they're walking away. We focus very, very heavily on the customers that come to us and buy you know, from us, but there's so many more that aren't buying from us. And I think if you can convert those, that's new revenue. That's, that's absolutely new top line revenue. Um, but it, it does require a great deal of work, a great deal of research. But I think that is really, the, to me, a huge ROI in, in that effort uh, to understand um, why customers um, you know, don't buy from the, uh, you know, why they don't complete the, the purchase transaction, why they don't complete the application, et cetera, et cetera. And there's lots of examples across industries you know, for, for all those things. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. And you answered the next question I had, which was, what are the positive <laughs> things you can do? Graham, what would you like to add to that? What is the negative and, and positive on that, on ROI and CX prioritization? I mean, I love, I love Jeff's answer, by the way. I mean, I think I almost encapsulate that as, you know, they need, they need to ask hard questions that may have ugly answers, right? And that's, that's really hard for, for anybody, anybody to do. I, I'd say that if we, if we, if we think of ROI as closely linked with another word, the business case, right? So the one thing, the one thing we see organizations do is they either set the bar, they set the bar way too high and way too far out. And so given that CX is a relative or CX management is a relatively new discipline and it's to your point, treated with some cynicism by the traditional line executives like CFOs um, and, and often and often viewed as a kind of consulting platitude, a way to mm-hmm. you know, bill hours and sell software. Um, <laughs> one of the things we see is, is that there's this need to, to deliver lots and lots and lots of proof points. And so setting a, setting a visionary um, you know, CX goal, by the way, a lot of consultants do this, which is not good, right? So you set this big, hairy, audacious goal. You don't put the tracking mechanisms in place so that you can celebrate the small wins and recognize that you're on the on the right road. One of our, our one of our clients has, uses the Wizard of Oz, you know, gleaming city, emerald city on the hill and the yellow brick road, right? So where are you on the yellow brick road? You can't just constantly say, "Yep, it looks like the city's getting closer," because it never will. Um, and so this idea of of the goal is just too big and too overwhelming. And in order to get motivation in the organization and or, you know, the path to get there is not set up with these small checkpoints when you can prove that you're making the journey. And the the result of that, which is maybe a mistake, but we see as being uniform is, again, because this is a new movement, right? I mean, we're in what somebody calls the second innings of nine um, in the CX movement. So in, in Americanism. And so we also see that CX in organizations has a continuous upward trajectory, but it's not smooth, right? So it kind of waxes and wanes in its popularity and having these, you know, a significant outcome on the radar, but goals that are constantly being achieved or not because you're learning, um, you know, it's just really important to sustaining the CX movement inside organizations. So I say overarchingly, you know, either the goal is way too big or the goal is big, big enough to get attention, but the, but the steps, the milestones along the way are not set and tracked in such a way that allows you to keep the movement going. And so just at the point when you're about to reach the Emerald City, everybody gives up and goes home. Um, yeah. 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 A big mistake. It's, 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 it dovetails, um, that what you just said, Graham, dovetails with a passage in the book where I, I talk actually in two parts of the book about time you know, how do you mark time in your CX program? And, you know, there's a cadence, there's an operational tempo in every organization. Um, Whether you're a startup and everything's, you know, fire, 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 you never get to ready aim, or you're in a very mature organization that has meetings for the meetings for the meetings before you get to a decision about what to do. And it's very um, aim, 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 aim. Maybe one day you'll fire. Um, But the idea of, of connecting your CX program to the organization's rhythm and how they 
make decisions and, and the cycles for budgeting and the cycles for, you know, getting your customer feedback, for example, into the product development cycle so that um, that feedback can be incorporated into the next iteration of the product, whether it's software or a consumer appliance or whatever, you know, so um, getting that timing right, because just being out of timing um, can jeopardize a CX program because you've spent money on an initiative and you missed the cycle. And so it didn't make it in there and boom, we didn't get an output that we were expecting. Um, and, and then, you know, what is the expectation? You know, do you have executives that think every quarter we should be knocking a, 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 a knocking out a home run to stay with the metaphor? Um, or, or is it a long game, you know, where it's three, four, five years from now, we'll, we'll have turned this giant battleship around to, um, to address a new kind of customer or change the culture within all those things um, have a time element to it. And I think it's so important to understand what that is in order for your CX program to deliver an ROI. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, on a sidebar on that, I, I've, I don't know, I think I'm fortunate enough to have developed a little network of uh, CX practitioners who I, I suppose I'm one of mentors for, and I think the recognition, and, and this would go directly back to your your military service. So thank you for your service, by the way. Um, since I have a little bit of that background in my family, um, the uh, you know rec- recognizing that there may be changes in personnel to achieve the objective. So I've got some really good friends of mine who have been in three or four CX leadership jobs in different companies. Mm-hmm. Actually, in one case, three times in the same company. Um, over the last eight, nine, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you recognize that you, you fought a valiant fight, you were a casualty and you went on to the next one, but recognizing that you can look back on the previous mission and, and realize that you were part of that achievement. And, uh, and one of my old bosses way back in my youth at Ernst and Young, when I actually spent two years working in Ireland down in Shannon, and um, he always used to say that you know the ones the, the most the most the most unifying attribute of heroes is a headstone right? <laughs> which is a horrible way of looking at the world but uh, in organizations people people may serve their time and they may move to a different job in the organization or they may exit the organization voluntarily or involuntarily and recognizing that you know that in most organizations to really make an impact this is a long game yeah this is not a 6 month effort and so um you know that's hard right i mean and, and i've I've helped counseling, having been in that situation myself in my career in 35 years, I, I make it a point to kind of help coach and counsel people when they get, you know, the wrong side of politics in their organization mm-hmm. and other things to recognize, you know, to look back, look at it as a long game and recognize what's going on, which is really hard when you're 32 years old and you've expended every ounce of energy you've got for the previous two years fighting a fight to achieve things. And then suddenly the organization turns sideways on you to yeah. somehow find your way to the next place and then recognize that you, you were an incredible part of a, of a story um, looking back. So it's, you know, I think it's, it's a hard and it's a long game. And I think the long game is probably the biggest challenge for organizations is to recognize that it is, and it's a journey. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that's, I think that's one of the downsides to ROI um, uh, Robin is <clears throat> is there's a timestamp to it. You say ROI to a CFO, and they and they maybe think in quarters, fiscal quarters. You think you, you say ROI to 
uh, a culture topic and maybe you've got a, a year or two. Um, you know, there is a bit of a context to it, but there's this time element that that's at play. And I think, I think, I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of times that that isn't um, discussed or clear clarified uh, enough to be uh, part of the success. That some of these ROI criteria should really be much longer range than normal. Well, it can be. I mean, you know, I had a really uh, active conversation with with a gentleman in CX. He was a big proponent of the big, hairy, audacious goal that um, that Graham mentioned earlier. The, 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 that that comprehensive, you know, digital transformation or tra- experience transformation, and um, and I'm a fan of evolutionary small steps, quick wins, um, because most organizations just just don't pull off these these very large, complicated um, projects so well. So so uh, you know, a lot of folks just underestimate. You know the, the impact, the cultural impact, the change management impact, the uh, mm-hmm. the the um, what your customers. You might be working on something for five years that your customers don't want anymore. If you're working on a flip phone, and and the new iPhone comes out, <laughs> which is a true story. When I was at uh, Motorola, <laughs> we were working on a new razor <laughs> when the iPhone came out. Boom! You know, Ed Zander lost his job, and uh, Motorola split into two companies, just like that. So imagine, um, um, you know, that kind of dynamic, you know, changing everything uh, when, when you were, when you were, when you weren't expecting it. Yeah. Hey, we just have a few minutes left and I'm interested in what questions that you would like to ask each other. So, uh, Graham, why don't you start? I really, I really only have, have one and it, it it's a, it's somewhat related to the prioritization and ROI, but but maybe not really. And we're we're hearing this from, you know, a lot of different clients that we talk to right now. So so Jeff, if you, you know, let, let's assume twenty twenty two is going to be a little bumpy, right? As this, uh, dif, you know, COVID recovery thing bites globally. Um, you know, if you sit here in twenty twenty three, and you said, you know, uniformly in the CX movement. You know what? What would you hope? You know the one or two things are that will be better, you know, twenty four months from now than they are today. I. That's a great question. I think um, it'll be a track record of customer expectation shifting, <clears throat> business operating models changing to address you know COVIDs and quarantines and all that, and um, the fact that so many executives saw firsthand what they may have. Backburnered or 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 not believed was that important before, right? And that is, you know, immediate feedback. They've seen they've seen um, how important the customer uh, is as 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 a, as, a, as, a, as having a dialogue with the customer is. I think I want to. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Is um, all this shifting for this COVID stuff has really shown so many people that like. Um, you can you can you can adapt working from home and changing hours and closing locations and things like that, and you can still make money. Um, so I think I want to believe, and there's plenty of evidence in different interviews and stuff that I've been I've been seeing and hearing about that um, executives are now very very tuned in. Where CX might have been a buzzword, it might have been a nice to have. 
if you're thinking about CX as a voice of the customer uh, function um, or functions to respond to the voice of the customer, um, I think more and more people are on board with that than, than, may, than may have been without COVID. Jeff, do you have any questions for Graham? Yeah, uh, Graham, I would love to know a bit more about how you persuade the reluctant executive. You know, we tend to think of, or we tend to talk about a C-suite uh, as if it's one cohesive entity that are all on the same page. Um, I think I think we know that that's that's not true, or that's seldom true, um, or seldom as true as we as we as we may characterize this. How do you develop um, an understanding among you know C-level leaders for what for defining CX for their organization? Hmm. I mean, you're a good consulting answer. It depends, right? So, um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I think. So, I, but but maybe not quite as fluffy as that might sound. So, I think there's the there's the understanding, the motivation, right? And 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 we see you know, three or four motivators predominantly in place. One of them, and one of the most important ones is that a very senior executive in the organization, maybe even in the board, has gotten the CX bug and is running around saying, we need some CX stuff. I don't really know what it means, but we've got to have some, right? And, and, that, and that can, you know, in a strange world, that can come because in the case of one of our clients, the CEO, this was three years ago, attended one of those you know, Harvard Business School retreat weekends for CEOs and came back waving a white paper on CX, telling everybody this was the future, right? So it was like Life of Brian um, and the shoe. So for Monty Python fans. But so the one is, is you know, that there's just a motivation. The, the second one is that there's more of a tangible kind of traditional burning platform, right? Something, you know, something has happened that that has caused you know, at least a general interest and in some cases an all out panic. We have another client who uh, nearly a year ago, B2B a technology company, they lost one of their most important clients, $30 million a year revenue stream out of the blue, predominantly because they weren't listening. Um, yeah. And that just shook everybody. So, um, you know, so there's some kind of, you know, classic, you know, burning platform that's caused them to jump. Um, and then, and then the third type, and this is the hardest one, is where you've got a couple of a few valiant soldiers in the company who are willing to take on the movement, recognizing that they're, you know, fighting against all the forces in the organization. But I, I would say that the simplistic answer to your question is, you can never persuade somebody who's not ready to listen. Yeah, no, I and agree. understanding that level of level of readiness is really job one. And to your point. Good news is there's not just one executive in the company. So usually you can kind of truck your way across the executives to understand various levels of readiness and focus on the people who are. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that that's great. It actually just uh, reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week about that same thing. And, and when I was in sales, um, you know, my, I had this epiphany one day that I should stop selling to people and find people that are ready to buy. And did my fortunes change when I was just talking to people who wanted me around and who wanted to do work together versus, you know, hounding someone with um, sales stuff, you know? Uh, so to your point, um, you want to talk to the people that are already in church and not get them into the church. 
Right. Well, in the interest of people who want to talk to me, I have to jump because I have a client <laughs> call. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Brian. Nice to talk to you again. Great. Thank you. It's so been much. a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. And that was our conversation on CX prioritization and ROI. Another great conversation and insights from Jeff and from you, Graham. I really enjoyed hearing the responses to those questions. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, I, and I think that, you know, just to reinforce yet again, like we talked at the end of podcast one, I think the, you know, the perspective that CX is not the same everywhere um, is incredibly important and very powerful. And then, of course, in, in the third podcast, we're going to we're going to talk about CX measurement and uh, and in addition to the general top about, topic about CX measurement and some of the new and interesting things that are going on in the measurement world, um, you know, we'll also relate that back into why measurement is is so important to being able to demonstrate return on investment and why prioritization directly informs both uh, the return on investment and measurement strategies that organizations have put in place. Wonderful. And let's remind everybody about how they can get a free book. Sure. Yeah, as you said, if you reach out to us, um, you know, in our campaign to make Jeff Sheehan the uh, best-selling CX author of 2021, um, if you contact us, we're going to give away 10 free copies of Jeff's book. Um, thanks to the wonders of Amazon, you can either have those in good old fashioned paper format, or we can uh, send them to you in Kindle format. If you prefer to do your, uh, genius reading on your electronic device. And we'll look forward to telling Jeff he's a best-selling author now, thanks to his appearance on Talking CX. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time. And remember, do CX right. And do it right now. Thanks, everybody. Bye.